I'm just curious, how many people here enjoy working on a good restoration project? Yeah, some people, okay. Um, I'm also curious, how many people prefer watching someone else work on a good restoration project? <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. Um, but there is something fascinating about restoration projects, isn't there? And there's also something really comforting about seeing something uh, that's, that's been weathered, that's so dilapidated, be transformed, given a new life. Um, I was recently at the dentist office, and you know, at my dentist office they have a big TV above the dental chair to distract you from the fact that they're coming at your mouth with power tools. And so they always ask me if I want to watch TV, and I always say yes, um, because I'm really trying to drown out those sounds. And um, what is on at the dental office? Take a guess. HGTV. This is Doctor's Office 101. It's always HGTV, right? You got your property brothers, you got your love it or list it. It's always something like that. But while I was at the dental office, there was a new show on that I had never seen before. And I can't remember the name of it. Um, but the premise of this show was that there was a woman who would find couples or, or individuals, it was usually couples, um, who had purchased a property for the purpose of flipping it, and somewhere down the line had given up on that project. And then they contact her and hire her to fix the job that they couldn't see through. This is like the most American show I've ever seen. <laughs> right? And uh, I couldn't help but identify with the incapable couples that were contacting this woman because you know they were just sitting at home one night, you know, sitting on the couch, eating a bunch of junk food, and watching some kind of show like this. And you know, mid crunch, they'll, I would do that, right? And so they go and they purchase a property because while somewhere in our minds we know that there's a lot of time and a lot of work that goes into those restoration projects. Um, on HGTV they're always done in 45 minutes, aren't they? Roll credits, right? <laughs> it looks so easy when they do it. You know what I noticed about this woman when she uh, was taking on projects? Before she went and met with the couple, before she agreed to take on the job, she would go and she would visit the place and she would do the first step of any restoration project which was investigating the existing conditions, right? It's the first step always in a restoration project. Investing, sorry, investigating the existing conditions. What is it? What is being restored? What am I looking at here? What has happened to it? I was asking myself that question about those chairs we were talking about, right? What has happened to it? What is it in need of restoration from? Years of decay, a bad environment, some kind of catastrophe? 
Now shortly before I began work on this sermon, uh, I was encouraged by one of my professors, Dr. Julia O'Brien, not to jump too quickly to the hope that we find in our Isaiah text this morning. And it's not because Dr. O'Brien is against hope by any means, um, but because she informed me that if we jump too quickly to hope and we don't look at the conditions of the context in which the author was writing them, we might miss just how much prophetic words can address our own context today we'll miss the first step for ourselves in the restoration process, which is what? Investigating the existing conditions. Now my professor noted that when we read Isaiah in its historical context, it's clear that the book is written from the perspective of defeat and occupation. Chapters 1 through 12 of Isaiah were written about the exile of Judah under the Assyrian Empire. Thus the expression of hope that you just heard was written from a place of trauma. But we seldom talk about what was happening in Judah. We hear these texts throughout Advent and they make us feel really good and they give us a vision of the future but we don't think about was happening when they were being written. It's also important to note, though uncomfortable as it may be, that Isaiah is being interpreted, sorry, the trauma that we see in Isaiah is being interpreted to the people as God's judgment on Judah. And we really don't like to talk about that because it's really uncomfortable to talk about a God that judges. It's off-putting. We want to move right to grace. But if we don't pay attention to what's being interpreted as God's judgment, we miss what God is restoring in the house of Jacob. And in fact, our lectionary selection does that, right? It stops before it gets too uncomfortable. And uh, when I requested that Hannah Sollenberger make our bulletin cover, um, and I want to make note of that because it wasn't our our bulletin insert was replaced with a second bulletin, so share with your friends. Um, but I got an email from Jess because she contacted me and she says, Elisa, you know, we're not reading anything about destruction, so I'm not sure why you want an ancient city in ruins on the front of the bulletin cover. Are we missing something? And I thought, yes. We are missing something. So we're going to talk about what we're missing this morning. So let's read a little bit further to get some context here. And I'm going to start at verse 5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have forsaken the way of your people, O house of Jacob. Indeed, they are full of diviners from the east and soothsayers like the Philistines, and they clasp hands with foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to their, what their own fingers have made. 
And so people are humbled and everyone is brought low. Do not forgive them. This is just an aside that Isaiah puts in there. Like, you know, actually, God, don't forgive them. <laughs> Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the glory of his majesty. The haughty eyes of people shall be brought low and the pride of everyone shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. And you kind of get why the lectionary selection <laughs> stopped at verse 5, right? But Walter Brueggemann writes about this passage saying, the house of Jacob has assimilated religious and economic practices that contradict the Lord's covenant. The result is the amassing of wealth, which requires weapons to protect it. Wealth and weapons are based on an ideology of self-sufficiency. And don't these problems sound a little bit familiar? If we're honest with ourselves, don't the existing conditions of Judah in Isaiah 2 sound a little bit like the existing conditions that we're living in today? How have we embraced ideologies of self-sufficiency? In what way does our relationship to our wealth and possessions rely on systems that are charged with violence, exploitation, inequality? How do we feel about that? In what ways have we come to rely on political systems which function in ways that go against some of our most basic social values of loving our neighbors and loving ourselves? I was having coffee with someone this week and she was telling me how she spent the last six years in a different country. And a lot of the social media in that country was limited. And so when she came to America, she said, I came back to a different country because she had missed the last six years. And our country has seen some things in the last six years, hasn't it? We don't talk to each other the same way that we did seven years ago. It was palpable to her. What might it take to face some of these questions? Where is it that we seek permission to act in response to some of these questions? Our police, our state, our democracy? When we look at Isaiah, we see a people of Judah in need of restoration on multiple levels. Uh, we see people in need of restoration from collective apathy, a people in need to be restored to the fullness of the unique way of their people, and we see a people in need of restoration from physical harm and destruction. And much like the house of Jacob, we are people in need of restoration from apathy, restoration to the fullness of the unique way of our faith tradition, the unique way of Jesus. And we are in need of restoration from physical harm, 
physical destruction of our very planet. Now I invite you just to take a few moments to think to yourselves, where is it that we are seeking restoration this month? Let's examine our own existing conditions for a moment. Where is it that we need restoration in our world? Where is it that we need restoration in our communities? Where is it that we need restoration in our congregation? Where is it that we need restoration in our own lives? Now, what is remarkable about these shows that I was talking about, these remodeling shows, is, um, you know, once that woman walked into that space, she takes a look around, she sees what's going on. You know, I watched three episodes. It was a really long dental appointment. And never did she walk into a place and go, nah, I don't think I'm going to take this job. She always takes the job. Because she always walks into the space, looks around, and somehow has the capacity to see a vision for that space. She can see a vision where that space is functional. She sees a vision where the space is aesthetically pleasing and harmonious within itself, despite the existing conditions, right? And we see God doing this in our Isaiah passage this morning, right? And it's not just for the house of Judah, but for everyone. Right? In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest mountain and shall be raised above all hills. All nations will stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. It's from the existing conditions that in verse 5, Isaiah makes his call. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen.